Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Coming to you from the other London, let's start the show. Good evening, and thanks for joining us tonight. This is GradCast, the number one radio show produced by the Society of Graduate Students here at the University of Western Ontario. Technically the only radio show, but, you know, still true. Um, I'm your host today, Yimin Chen, and I'm here with my co-host, Emma Bridgewater. Hello, Emma. Good evening, everyone at Western. I hope you're enjoying this spectacularly hot day. It wasn't that bad, was it? I mean, I was out playing Pokemon Go for a bit. It wasn't so bad. Productive as always, I see, Yemen. And that's why I'm never going to graduate. Unlike our guest today, look at that segue, um, a man who graduated last year, actually. We have with us today a good friend of mine, very special guest, Dr. Luke Arnott. How are you, Luke? Great, Yemen. And thank you. That was a pretty slick segue, I have to say. Totally not planned off the cuff here. Okay, so, Luke, your work is... uh, Well, no, you graduated from the Faculty of Information and Media Studies. Yes. Yeah? Um, What is the sort of degree you get from that? Well, it was a Media Studies PhD. Okay, right. So, as maybe your listeners are already aware, I mean, you're in the LIS program, which is the other doctoral... Uh, program at FIMS. Uh, so. A bit less glamorous. Uh, well, I guess it depends on your point of view. <laughs> ah. Well, from your point of view, um, so your work was on notions of the epic mm-hmm. and in, in media. Yeah? Um, and you also have a, a book proposal that's been going in. I do. So yeah. post, uh, you know, doctoral defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah? It's called Epic and Media. No, actually, that's the working title. That's the working title. I have a much uh, snazzier working title, which has not been run past the editors at all. Oh, wow. This is an exclusive. Uh, Yeah, I guess so. Uh, Media first. Yeah. So I'm thinking of calling it Totally Epic Tales Across Time and Space, but we'll see how that flies, so to speak. Totally epic. Okay. So, (laughs) I mean, I I think I understand, but could you run by us? What, What is an epic? What does it mean? Well... Essentially, you have to start by looking at uh, what the kind of traditional epic is. So if you go back to epic literature, it's heroic poetry. So things like Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey, Virgil's Aeneid as well, which I will talk about in the book. Um, And other uh, sort of ancient epics that people sort of discovered uh, many centuries later. So like the Epic of Gilgamesh, which was rediscovered in the 19th century, for instance, which is very uh, similar Uh, to those as well. And one of the things that I kind of noticed while I was doing research on uh, the epic uh, for my master's thesis in comparative literature was that nowadays a lot of sort of new media narratives or fictions are increasingly thought of as sort of epics in some kind of way that's, you know, not always very well understood or very well articulated by people that th- call things like, dude, that was like an epic movie, man. Yeah, wasn't and, there actually a movie called Epic Movie? Uh, yes, yeah. And, I mean, there's even uh, movies that have made fun of that, like the, the tagline on the poster for the Scott Pilgrim movie said, like, a totally epic tale of epicness or, or something like that. Because, as you may remember, about, I don't know, four or five years ago, epic was one of those buzzwords that was uh, floating around 
uh, Dictionary.com, actually, I think, for three years in a row. And, and you and you've heard this story before, actually, named Epic the, like, you know, worst word of the year <laughs> because it was so <laughs> overused in so many uh, contexts. So that was actually kind of luck for me because I was just starting writing the dissertation when Epic kind of peaked as a, as a slang word. And I think that what I've tried to show is that there's actually a kind of way that we can sort of explain that in somewhat more sophisticated, intelligent ways uh, than dictionary.com. So if things like Epic Movie and Scott Pilgrim don't count as epics in the modern sense, what, uh, what are some examples of modern media that would fall under uh, that classification? Well, I wouldn't necessarily say that uh, any of those movies wouldn't be in that sort of sense. Uh, when I argue for something to be an epic, it's, uh, it has to be looked at in kind of relation to all the other kind of texts that are circulating. So what it's drawing from, how it kind of contributes to new things as well. So for instance, if you have an adaptation of uh, earlier works, for instance, that's trying to kind of condense them into the sort of definitive movie or video game or what have you. Uh, that is a kind of epic, where it can be epic as a sort of you know adjective at least. And the most epic epics, if you will, are the ones that uh, are able to do that on, on on a number of levels. So they have to you know incorporate as much kind of other material as possible. They have to be very influential as well, so high quality or at least be seen to have high quality and stuff like that. So, for instance, again to maybe stay on on film as a uh, as an example, uh, you know something like the Star Wars movies is a sort of classic example of the kind of blockbuster epic. Uh, which kind of builds this whole mythology kind of around it that it sort of later draws from uh, as well. Cool. But, I mean, your work doesn't focus just on film, right? Um, you talk about this notion of transmedia and about um, notions of epic across all different sorts of things like film, TV shows, video games. And uh, I do remember we had a conversation a while back where you were talking about the use of the word epic even in um, fast food commercials? Mm. Yes, indeed. Well, this is actually possibly going to be the anecdote that kind of begins my, my introduction, uh, because uh, my introduction of the book, because um, the theory of epic that I have is actually something that, that uh, can be applied to things that aren't just like narrative fictions, so not just stories, but you can also have you know, an idea of, of, of epic architecture. Uh, for instance. So in this case, this kind of very glib case, which also, again, dates to circa 2011 or 2012, mm -hmm. uh, uh, there was at KFC an Epic Crunch value combo meal, uh, which in the context of the fast food combo was arguably epic. I mean, it's a bit of a, uh, a silly <laughs> example. Uh, so instead of just having the the fountain drink, uh, the fries, and the hamburger or the chicken sandwich. The KFC Epic Crunch had the the drink, the fries, the chicken sandwich, and it had a bag of Doritos, and it had a bag of popcorn chicken too. So if any combo meal could be epic, that would have to be it. Now, I mean, that's not the sort of thing that's going to be. Uh, related through the ages as, you know, <laughs> sort of, you know, epic tale. Like that time I had the epic crunch at KFC. Uh, but that's a sort of very kind of uh, 
uh, interesting example, writ small, shall we say. Okay. So, I mean, in a way, then, does something being epic just sort of mean there's more of it? Well, it has to be good, too. Uh, because one of the things I try to make the distinction is that, you know, you may have works that are kind of aspiring to be epic in some way or trying to be sort of right. successful epics, epics, but one of the, the problems is that, uh, you know, the more you try to cram in, the more you try to do, the harder it is to do it well. And that's one of the reasons why when it is done well, uh, we tend to be impressed. We tend to call it epic? Mm, indeed. Now, um, if I recall... now. I've never seen this, the epic movie. I know it's like in the scary movie genre of film, but I did see a trailer for it, and it seemed like they tapped into a lot of uh, superhero movies, which they thought were oversaturated, which was adorable because that was like uh, 10 <laughs> years ago now, really and they didn't really the rails, know yeah. if they only knew. But um, I'm wondering if this like echoing, because I know that superheroes and kind of the ancient epics like Gilgamesh have a lot to um, speak to each other on. I don't know if you could build on that. Oh, absolutely. Uh, one of the um, theoretical uh, sources that I use is Northrop Fry's Anatomy of Criticism, and he has a really useful concept uh, in that book. Uh, it's called the high mimetic mode, which is one of the uh, modes that he sees that, that governs uh, certain types of literature. And for him, the high mimetic, essentially meaning the kind of like serious imitation of like real life uh, sort of stuff. Uh, um, it has a hero that is uh, seen as being superior to all other kind of men. So superior to his or her um, uh, uh, fellows or, or society, but still uh, bounded by uh, sort of physical laws or um, uh, his or her environment. So, so some- in a way... Is this more like a, a Batman situation as opposed to Superman? Yes. Well, the other thing, too, is that Superman, you know, to, to really get into the weeds here, is not really a god. <laughs> he has weaknesses. He is, you know, there's the kryptonite. Of course, he, if he ever goes to a planet that's like Krypton, he'll have normal powers and things like that. But certainly the, the superheroes uh, tend to be at the kind of high end of that scale. Uh, and actually the ones that tend to be most interesting, again, are the ones like Batman who are, you know, superior but still kind of mortal people and in that sense that's how we can kind of square somebody like Achilles or Odysseus or Gilgamesh uh, in sort of similar terms to you know, Bruce Wayne so, so um, to like maybe like build up like what epic means I, I, I have like a question it's like uh, if I remember Gilgamesh it's like not just a single tale but it's like a sequence of tales and they're built, built up on each other and so like superhero films like I, I mean, I didn't ever think maybe as a child that a movie that would be called a quote cinematic universe would be a thing, and now we live with two of them. Mm. That like is this kind of uh, part of the epicness as well? The the large um, backstory, the large like intrigue and uh, large body of knowledge, like uh, not just an important character, but a character that has serialized uh, adventures, like. I don't know, does that play a role at all? or Not so much serialized, exactly. Uh, to maybe backtrack a bit, uh, Gilgamesh uh, was, as far as we can kind of tell, um, compiled over many sort of centuries, and there are kind of episodes within it, but it's very much a sort of uh, uh, an arc of Gilgamesh's uh, uh, life uh, as well. And 
what happens in ancient oral storytelling and then even now with these Hollywood things is you do have a lot of these sort of retellings of separate parts that kind of evolve over time and when the epic is constructed whether it's by uh, you know uh, uh, a compiler writing down these stories or whether it's a huge transnational corporation like you know Time Warner uh, trying to, to capitalize on this uh, Whatever is going on, uh, it's always a process of kind of trying to shape this like large backstory into a definitive kind of version that kind of trumps everything else and uh, is the one that will sort of stand the test of time. Okay. So uh, part of your work, part of your dissertation was to take these ideas of epic and bring them into um, the world of modern media. Uh, Are there examples from your work that you can point to as... You know what would be considered a modern epic, other mm. than superheroes, say. Yeah. Uh, well, one of my last uh, chapters is on the Legend of Zelda series, which has been on. Uh, uh, it just had its 30th anniversary actually this year, um, uh, and that's interesting because it sort of takes a lot of the tropes of kind of old-fashioned heroic questing but does it within a kind of video game context and in some ways video games are ideal for this because they can have storylines for instance that are well beyond like the the running length of even a series of, of motion pictures for instance and there are some uh, video games that really do try to do this, like the Mass Effect trilogy, for instance, is probably still the most cohesive attempt at having a very kind of long, involved sort of epic uh, storyline. Uh, and again, some of the same sorts of features are happening there. There is this conscious attempt to kind of create a world uh, that the epic draws from. Um, it's actually interesting, too, because the developer, Bioware, that did Mass Effect, uh, had originally done uh, a Star Wars role-playing game, Knights of the Old Republic, about 15 years ago. And one of the impetuses for them to actually do Mass Effect was they wanted to actually make their own intellectual property. So they didn't want to have to license Star Wars or Star Trek, so they essentially just made their own Star Trek. uh, And that's how that kind of got born. And then that becomes its own kind of thing with its own novelizations, with its own comic books, with its own, you know, soundtrack CDs and so on and so forth. And so what's the challenge there with the uh, non-linearity of the storytelling that you have to do within video games? Hmm. Well, it depends on which kinds of games you're talking about. So this is, again, or at least it was a big debate at the beginning of of game studies about 15 years ago. It's kind of settled down a bit because people realized that it was uh, being a bit reductive. But there was this, uh, there's been a bit of... uh, not so much confusion, but maybe a, a lack of specificity when it comes to talk, like what kinds of games we're talking about. So there are kind of games that are more narrative-based than, than not narrative-based, for instance. And those are the ones that will see the most uh, attempts at having a kind of epic story. The narrative ones, you mean? Yes, okay. the narrative ones. Um, and again, Mass Effect is something that is like really kind of pushes the boundary of that because you have these narrative structures that are actually uh, kind of dovetailing back into each other. So you have this choice, you have this um, variability through playthroughs, but they kind of go back to these kind of nodes so it never kind of strays too far away because when you have open-ended things like, say, uh, uh, MMOs, massively uh, multiplayer online games, it's not really structured enough to have 
a kind of cohesive story that everyone has at the same time. It's interesting because it goes between like the two, like it seems like video game design goes between two extremes uh, these days anyway, of going to the biggest epics that one can make. So either you're pushing the direction to make the biggest and most involved and most intricate storyline you can put together. Mm-hmm. Or there seems to be another drift, and this might be more of like the indie game influence of reductionism, like kind of the opposite of epicness, yeah. of taking everything to its base components. And like I'm thinking of, I don't even know the name of it, the, 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 uh, the fighting game where you literally just jump up in the air and kick down. And it's the entire game. There's only one guy, and he only does one move, and it's the entire game. But like, it takes all of the mechanics of a fighting game to its absolute core. Hmm. Well, I know the one you're talking about, but I also the name escapes me. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are uh, ones like that too. One of the things, though, that that is interesting with many kind of indie games in the last, say, five years is that they use the kind of scaling back of things like fancy interfaces or or graphics to actually. Uh, expand story worlds uh, as well in a way that would not be possible if they were doing like fully rendered 3D polygon uh, work uh, as well. So again, it, it really depends on the very kind of the particular context of some of these media. So you can think about subdivisions of these, like you know, you can have an epic sports game, uh, for instance, that is kind of bigger than all the others, but it may not be an epic narrative in that sort of sense. It's not something that you would retell to other people. So one of the things um, I've sort of noticed about our modern, I guess you could call it, media environment, um, one of the things that's different from perhaps previous um, postmodern, oh, sorry, pre-modern, pre-modern. Uh, epics is the sort of, I guess, cross-media interconnectivity of mm. a lot of our, um, I guess, fictional universes. So things like um, superheroes are not just in film, not just in, say, comic books and so on, but they also have novelizations, they have video games, they have, you know, they build their world through various different multimedia platforms and um, sort of streams. Does that uh, affect our understand or your understanding of Epic in any way? Well, what that does is sometimes it actually helps us better understand the pre-modern stuff or even the ancient stuff because um, one of the things that we forget after these things get kind of ossified is the processes under which they were uh, originally composed. So, for instance, uh, you know, the Aeneid wasn't just kind of written down in a vacuum, so to speak. Uh, mm-hmm. We do know some of the details about how it was composed. We know when it was composed. We know... Uh, we have a rough idea about the kinds of books that, say, Virgil consulted, for instance. Uh, but also there were a lot of other sorts of things going on at the same time. So uh, in the Aeneid, Virgil is, is talking about the kind of uh, founding myth of ancient Rome. But there were actually a lot of competing myths at the same time that were in a various numbers of sources. So historians, uh, folk tales, uh, popular kind of street theater almost. Uh, there were a whole bunch of ways in which these were circulating that are lost to us now. Uh, so when we look at the huge explosion of, of media today, it, it helps us sort of understand uh, or reevaluate our, our understanding of the previous uh, productions because this may be an increase in scale, but not necessarily as much in kind as we would first think. I'd actually like to ask also one more thing. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> sorry, human. Uh, it is a quick about, because uh, the difference between the Inead is it was made thousands of years ago with mm-hmm. uh, no copyright and yet today these are like mm-hmm. owned intellectual properties is that going to uh, make the quote definitive version 
easier because there's going to be fewer derivative copies and less... In some ways, and this is something that, that companies have a lot of trouble with. So, for instance, um, there's just been an ongoing lawsuit uh, with uh, uh, CBS Studios that is the owner of, or current owner of Star Trek, uh, suing uh, a fan-based production company uh, over their fan production of a new kind of Star Trek series and stuff like that. And that's, it's not 100% resolved at this point, but it sort of is, uh, because there is this tension between the studios that want to make these things for profit and the fans that just want to make them uh, for fun and not for profit. And the studios, or at least the smarter ones, do realize that they shouldn't clamp down on this too much because this is their customer base and they don't want to, to antagonize people. Uh, there's other things as well. I mean, I think if you ask that question in, say, 100 years or 150 years, it might be different because once some of these things go out of copyright, there may be, uh, you know, they may be more uh, available. Uh, actually, another good example, for instance, is like Sherlock Holmes in recent decades has come out of copyrights, and it's uh, that may be one of the reasons why you're now seeing, seeing more Sherlock Holmes movies and TV shows and things like that. Or the weird funness of the Red Sonias. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it's a character where spelling it one way is copyrighted, spelling it the other way is public domain. But both of them are currently like being made into things, and they're both pretty much the same character. So it ends up with these really strange uh, <laughs> results. So another sort of going along with what Tristan said, another problem with looking at postmodern media is this, uh, especially with I guess the Batman series is a little bit at fault for this, but the constant remakes and revisions and uh, sequels that basically rewrite the uh, the previous narrative. And I think Star Trek does this too with the new movie. So how mm-hmm. does that affect the overall cohesiveness if you're constantly uh, writing over things and going back and revising things? Mm-hmm. Well, the amount of the going over and revising, I think, is an indication of how successful the previous ones were. So probably the best example is like the Spider-Man franchise, which is going to get rebooted again uh, for, I guess, the third time, um, which is sort of at one end. At the other end, you have something with like Star Trek where the new movies have not they've actually come up with this whole kind of convoluted rationale for how it's in an alternate reality and you know all the stuff that you liked before is still out there somewhere it doesn't sort of change Shatner Kirk or you know erase the next generation or anything like like that Uh, and there's a new show coming out in uh, January which so far appears to be in the quote-unquote prime universe and stuff like that and and it also because I remember when they rebooted Star Trek and they did that whole thing too um I remember that the a presence of William Shatner in the movie, because William Shatner wrote a bunch of not like fan fiction novels about his own character living on to do stuff. It's the Shatner verse. Yeah, and then he tried to get his himself in the movie alongside uh, Leonard Nimoy in order to uh, justify his books. And I, 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 it's just interesting because you're talking about these overlapping narratives of continuity and. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> The Shatnerverse. It is a. It is an interesting read. I'm not going to say a good read. An interesting one. And can we aspire to any more? Really? Yeah. <laughs> it's the old Chinese proverb: "May you live in interesting times." Oh, actually, <laughs> may you read interesting Star Trek novels. I, I've looked that up, <laughs> and, and you know that attribution is highly dubious. <sighs> All my favorite proverbs. <laughs> yeah, they're either you know racist or flat out made up. Anyway, um, on interesting reads, uh, 
that wasn't as good of a segue oh, yeah, as the yeah. earlier one. Reaching. Um, <clears throat> so, Luke, we don't often have um, a post-degree guest on our show. And so, as someone who's gone through all this uh, this thing, this stuff, these couple years of blood, sweat, and tears, how is... Uh, how is the other side of that tunnel, hmm. you know, after going into the light, <laughs> oh boy. so to Try speak? Try not to sound too worried, Yemen. Yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know. This this may or may not come as a comfort, but it's kind of the same as it was before. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, great, to have, it's great to have the old monkey off the back, but uh, in nope. my experience, I'm, I've been teaching courses at, uh, at FIMS for about three years now, and I'm teaching all the same courses, and it's the same bad pay, and it's, you know... <laughs> There's not that much sort of uh, uh, different from the day-to-day, at least if you're sort of staying in academe. Uh, and it's weird now because as I'm kind of finishing the book manuscript, uh, it does feel like I'm stuck writing my dissertation all over again. Uh, so maybe, you know, ask me again in six months and I might have a different answer. But right now it's it's very much, you know, the same kind of uh, day-to-day uh, uh, habits, I suppose. So, so we're like we're we're grounding near the end here. We got about a couple minutes left to talk, and I want I, I always want to ask this to our guests, especially you, since you have all these cool media things going on. If somebody wanted to follow your thoughts and presence and work online, do you have an online presence, and where could we go? You have a uh, yeah, well, I have a website that hasn't been updated in like two years, so that's that's not helpful. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I spend too much time actually working on the damn thing than I do kind of uh, updating uh, stuff like that. So there isn't anything uh, as such, but uh, I do. Uh, I did actually just get a, a book chapter published, which is available at Weldon Library. They just bought it a couple of weeks ago. Oh, sweet! Uh, and um, it's what's it called? It's um, uh, new research on intertextuality in video games. So that's got a chapter that's actually um, uh, a version of my uh, dissertation public lecture uh, on the Batman video game, uh, the Batman Arkham uh, video game series as an epic as well. So if you're looking to get a, a more in-depth uh, uh, treatment of what I've been talking about, that's a, that's a good start. All right, Lucas, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, thank you. I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I think you had one burning last question to go, but uh, the, the clock strikes soon. Uh, I just wanted to mention to you guys that uh, GradCast is a production of the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. If you are a Western graduate student who wants to talk about your research, really good for your public outreach, your CV, all that good stuff, contact us, email gradcastradio at gmail.com. And of course, if you listen to the radio, you really only get like one third of the content we produce. And so I have to push that if you want to listen to more GradCast, we have a weekly podcast over at gradcastradio.ca. And there's tons. We're up. We're, we're next. Tomorrow comes episode seventy six. Like there's so much to go through. You guys are having a great time. Right. And you don't even have to keep an up, uh, keep an eye on our podcast page. You can subscribe to our Twitter or follow us on Facebook as well. It's all Gradcast Radio. Just Gradcast Radio. If you type it into a thing, you'll find something that's us. Have a good one, everyone. That's all we got for this week. If you like this episode, share it with someone. Check us all out on Twitter and Facebook. Both you can find through Gradcast Radio. 
You can go to our website to see more episodes at gradcastradio.ca. And if you want to come on the show and talk about your own research, great line for your CV, go to gradcastradio at gmail.com. The theme is Happy Boy by Kevin McLeod, and we will see you guys next time.